Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today's show is going to be an interesting show because we have David and David has a very interesting story. But first of all, you, you know, every time I get somebody on the show, I like to give them a nickname. So the nickname for this individual is going to be the Focus Boss. And as he continues to talk and, and unravel who he is, you'll definitely see why I'm naming him that. So, David, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, man. Well, I started life very left brained. Uh, I, I had a tragedy when I was a kid and I watched a family member die and uh, I shut down all of my emotions. And I didn't know that. I just found that later on in life when I went to therapy and I was like, oh, this is, this is what happened. I got really good at left brain stuff. I got really good. I came, started coming top of my school. I got paid to go to university. I got a scholarship and then I got transferred to New York. So, I mean, there were good things that came out of it, but at the age of 23 or four, I discovered that I was missing some really key pieces. I didn't know about emotional intelligence. I didn't know about vulnerability and reveals. I didn't know about true connection and true influence. And I didn't know that all of these things were required for leadership. Mm-hmm. So, I think the first half of my life was about money, numbers, systems, and business success. And I ended up consulting to Sony Music and Ford and Exxon and all of that. But then I discovered that the second half of my life had to be about catching up on all these pieces that were needed to round out the whole picture. So now when business owners come to me, they want more money. Who doesn't? But if that's all they want, I tell them to go to someone else because uh, I look at Yes, we'll make more money, double your revenue, double your time off. But how's your life? Are you expressed? Are you courageous? Are you authentic? Are you connected with your kids and with your partner? Are you living the life you really want to live? That's my sweet spot. So, I mean, without definition, obviously, he defined why I've called him the focus boss, right? Because I mean, he's talking about really drilling down to like the core competencies of who you are, not just in business, but who you are behind the scenes. So let's dive into that a little bit more and more about you, right? So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Playful, deep, courageous, sometimes fragile. I think it's definitely very ironic that you said those the last two, right? Because I mean, in, in your life, there's some obstacles that you had to overcome as well. And I think one of them was, you know, I think you were hang gliding or paragliding. You want to tell us a little bit about that story, like how that started. And obviously, I'm an adventure junkie as well, so I love that. But how did that end in that particular accident? Yeah, I have the distinction of having accidents in both paragliding and hang gliding. So when I was younger, uh, I had a couple of accidents where I didn't really get hurt. I just busted up the glider. And then more recently, I discovered paragliding. And uh, I had two incidents. One was a full collapse at 300 feet, plummeting towards the earth. And I managed to reinflate the wing 
at 80 feet above the ocean. And I walked away from that one. Then in Colombia, I was only 10 feet above the ground and didn't control the wing properly, had a partial collapse and fell 10 or 15 feet onto my butt. Did not walk away from that one. Uh, that was a stretcher and an ambulance ride to a Colombian hospital. And thank goodness I'm walking today and I've decided to sell my wing. Uh, and at the same time, I decided to sell my motorcycle because I'm all about taking risks if the upside is there. If there's enough upside and the downside is something I'm willing to accept, okay. So for a while, it made sense to paraglide and ride motorcycles. Then I decided I want my feet on the ground and I want to stay alive. I want to see what's coming in the next 30 years. And so um, I decided to lower my risk profile, take risks where it makes sense. Take risks by reaching out to say Richard Branson and asking him to endorse your book, ask a celebrity to endorse your product, uh, call up 10 people or a hundred people and ask them to work with you. Take those kinds of risks. Don't drive without a seatbelt. There's no upside in it. You're just being an idiot. Don't ride a motorcycle without a helmet, even if the law says you can. And you might want to reconsider smoking cigarettes for 20 years, right? These are things that don't have a lot of upside and they have huge downside, but people get too conservative, conservative around business and around authenticity, like revealing our inner selves to our partner and our kids and our friends. That's where we're way too conservative. And then we get too risky in other areas where it doesn't make sense at all. Hmm. Very, very, very interesting. So, I mean, with that, I mean, like, let's just talk about like your journey a little bit. I mean, obviously you're a world-renowned consultant, right? By trade. Like, how did you even get into that? Were you like one of those kids that were really big into helping other people growing up? Or is that something that you grew into as you got older? Well, you know, something that we mentioned uh, before we started recording here is the idea, the thing, idea of imposter syndrome. And as I look back over my life, I realized getting into being a consulting actuary wasn't really that difficult. I mean, what was difficult was passing all the exams. That was brutal. And I don't recommend anyone try it. It was, it was horrible. But I worked for a company and so they, you know, I just learned and I learned and I learned and then they brought me out to clients. So that was a nice, easy introduction. I didn't have imposter syndrome for that. I always felt quite special. But then when I started going into other things, when I wanted to pivot, I wanted to pivot to coaching because I went and did a coaching program and they changed my life and I changed the life of someone overnight by coaching them uh, around courage. And I'm like, how do I get into that? Now, that was scary. That was scary to say to people, hey, I'm a coach. Now, sure, it helped that I went and got a training program. Uh, I had two different schools train me in coaching. So that helped. I had that under my belt. But still, I felt like an imposter. And I think that's the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. Don't, don't wait until you feel confident and competent to do something or you'll never, ever get there. So I just dove in. Uh, I hired a coach to help me through it rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. And I started calling my friends and my contacts and said, look, I'm offering a half off special because I'm just getting started. That's another tip. Don't pretend to be something you're not. I'm like, I'm just getting started, so I'm going to give you half off. And I think I felt like a, a bit of an imposter for maybe the first three years to five years of my, my coaching. Now I've coached 
I don't know how many people and thousands of hours. So I don't really feel it anymore. But when you're starting, be willing to feel like an imposter. Then when I, when I became uh, an entertainer, this was before coaching, I thought, well, what, you, what would I do if I had six months to live? And I thought I always wanted to be one of those guys at the ski fields who put on a, a, a blonde ABBA wig and sang an ABBA song, SOS or, or um, Mamma Mia, or they'd put on a black Afro and they'd sing Blame It on the Boogie or a kilt and they'd sing 500 miles. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. So I went and did it. Oh my God, was I an imposter? I wasn't a good singer. I didn't know what I was doing. And every single gig, I was terrified. Now, after I'd done about 30 of them, I stopped feeling like that. And the point of this is, again, don't wait and expect that. It's you just don't wait until you feel confident to do something. I went from coaching to uh, to speaking on stage. Again, felt like an imposter for a, for a couple of years. I think it took six years and something shifted in my life before I got up on stage and I felt like me. And I wasn't pretending. I wasn't hiding anything. I was laughing at myself. I was revealing how stupid I was and the mistakes I made. It was amazing. And I ended up selling worth of training in 15 minutes at the end of that speech. So something had happened. And the the most recent example of imposter syndrome is I decided to get into acting six weeks ago. I'm like, let's, what's that all about? What, how does that work? What, what can I do? And I started an acting class. And then a friend said, do you want to come to an audition with me? There's a local production of Dracula. And I'm going to audition. I said, well, I don't know how to audition, but I'll come and read. And if they like, boy, did I feel like an imposter showing up to that audition. Guess what? They offered me Dracula. They offered me the lead in the, in the play Dracula. So I am absolutely feeling like an imposter almost every day. And what I realized is the goal isn't necessarily to get rid of imposter syndrome. You can have imposter syndrome and still show up anyway. Uh-huh. You still say, I don't really know what I'm doing, but let me take a shot. I'm auditioning for, for maybe uh, seven things a week now. And I just figure the law of large numbers, right? Someone's going to see me for something, even if it's a hundred auditions and someone's going to go, hey, I, I think you've got the look that I want. Let's do it. Someone just reached out and offered me a, a role in a feature film. I've never been offered a role in a film. But I th- again, I think it's a law of large numbers and I'll show up and do my best. And if they don't like it, okay, so be it. I'll keep working at it. I think that that's definitely very, 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 very interesting, right? I mean, obviously you're, you're coaching individuals and then at the same time, it's like you're also self-coaching yourself through multiple hurdles. Oh. So oh my, my God. next question. Every day. So my next question is just is talking about like these hurdles, right? So like, what is the biggest hurdle you had to overcome dealing with a client before? And obviously, you know, you may have A-type personalities, you may have assholes, you may have different variables, but something that you can kind of really picture and illustrate, like, how did you deal with that? How did you overcome that hurdle? Well, hurdles, you mean helping clients overcome their hurdles or a hurdle I had with a client that I needed to, to deal with? I think directly that last one, like a hurdle that, because I mean, again, obviously I think you're a really big person about facing the fear, overcoming those hurdles, and then 
you know, looking forward for the next hurdle, right? You're talking about imposter syndrome, but it sounds like you, you like to embrace the imposter oh. syndrome. You like to conquer it. So how have you dealt yep. with someone that's facing their own imposter syndrome and you pushed them through to get them past that hurdle? Oh, yeah. Well, that happens all the time. Um, my clients are because when someone comes to a coach, it's usually because they want to be bigger. They want to move faster. That's what that, that's what they want. And so when they come to me, that starts happening. And then they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Can I can I do this? Am I any good at this? So one example, I have a client who is an interior designer. And um, sometimes there'll be issues about can she ask for this amount of money for this project? Right? That's that's an edge for a lot of people. Can I ask for this? Um, am I worth it? What if they can't afford it? Questions, questions like that. Uh, let's see what else people have had to deal with. Speaking, speaking in front of groups and they're scared to go and do it. Uh, calling people and asking them to work with them. And then I love this celebrity thing because that's where we can often get edgy and you know a little bit nervous and scared. Um, reaching out to a celebrity to say, hey, would you be open to being involved in, in the company? And I, what I want for people is that they're self-expressed. That's what I want. You may not get a yes, but I think the failure is in not asking. If you decide to play small and you decide to... Um, avoid rejection and this could this is not just business right sa this could be you want something in the bedroom and you and you're nervous to ask your partner about it or maybe there's something awkward that you haven't talked about with your kids because you know you don't you don't know how they're going to feel about it i i just had um horrendous stuff happening with a with a housemate that that i had and it was it was edgy like every day for 30 days until he moved out and i had scared i had to say hey this isn't okay with me and uh this is a desire i have can you do that and draw boundaries we've got opportunities every single day to be self-expressed and i thought that after 20 30 years of training in this and coaching people that i was cooked that i was done that i'm like all right i got this all handled hell no i'm constantly challenged today's thursday right two days ago i woke up and i heard some banging around the house and my 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 uh nervous system's pretty highly strung so i went into anxiety and i'm like all right i got to communicate about this i got to say you know without being a jerk and without coming across as over the top how do i set boundaries and say hey this isn't okay um i would have thought i was past all that but nope nope i just keep on finding new areas that are that are uh that are challenging. Wow. So let's just, just dive into like your story a little bit. I mean, like where did you grow up and, and where do you live right now? I grew up in a country town in Australia and about two hours north of Sydney. And I worked for a company for a little while there, got a transfer to New York as a consulting actuary, and that was pretty cool. I loved being on Park Avenue, man. I took pictures of me under the Park Avenue sign and, and all of that. And then um, I quit, eventually went back to Australia, did the entertainment stuff, which was wild. Even went on national television, playing 500 miles in a kilt um, under the stage name, Mr. Woody. And uh, you know what I realized 
it, <laughs> I like seeing you disappear below the camera line just then. Yeah, Mr. Woody was on this this show uh, where they gong you off in usually like 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Very embarrassing, very scary. Nearly literally peed my pants on national television. I was that terrified. And the thing I realized after doing this for like two weeks is I wasn't a good singer. I just love doing it. And I, and I love the entertaining and I love the challenge. So I, I did that. And then I quit my I, I started coaching and three years into coaching i resigned as an actuary that was hard after eight years blood sweat and tears to qualify that was really scary to let go of that profession and say i'm not coming back and i'm really proud one of the things i realize in this moment that i'm feeling very proud of is that that was in maybe 2001 that i resigned from the institute so 20 years now, no actuary, and I have not gone back to it. Mm. And then I ended up in, in well, I ended up back in the US because I keep on coming back. I keep getting drawn to Americans and I like the culture here, great progressive communities. So I lived in the Bay, uh, I lived in New York, I lived in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and then I went to Bali for a few years because I was burned out, dude. Mm. I just burned out. I was, I'd, I'd said, I've been helping coaches for so long to build their practice. And I'd said everything there was to say about that for me. And so I resigned. I moved to the um, rice paddies in Bali and surrounded myself with beautiful rice fields and lived in a, an amazing place, super cheap, lovely people, learned three languages there to speak to the locals. And then um, found my way back again to the US. I just cannot stay away. And there were such good people in Boulder. A friend of mine kept telling me, come and check it out. Come and check it out. Come and see the people here. Really good crew. And combine that with the mountains, I decided, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna stick around. Now, I think I'm moving to LA next year because I want to, for the last 10 years, I've had this secret dream of pursuing acting full time and just diving into it. Not even pursuing. Pursuing is the wrong word, but immersing myself in acting for a year or two getting properly trained and having a blast. And if I happen to get some great gigs, that'd be fun too. But if I don't, I right now I'm just loving the life. I decided not to wait until I moved to LA. Why not get my feet wet now? So that's why I'm doing the play, doing an improv troupe, um, doing an acting class, just really diving in and seeing what it's all about. So I think you depicted like a, a clear linear, like, from point A to point B. And the perception of overnight success is always a reality to anyone that is introduced to you to the first time. So in reality, on that timeline, how long have you been on your journey to get to where you are currently? I think that the the coaching took about three years, being almost full-time, about three years to, to crack six figures. So that was maybe like 2001 to 2004. And then part of the journey, I, I, after I decided I was kind of over one-on-one -on -one coaching and I wanted to leverage, then I went into product. So I created products for coaches and I became number one on Google and a whole bunch of cool things happened, started selling training from the stage. And that was pretty cool because I was able to get paid while I was asleep and I didn't have to trade time for money anymore. 
And uh, so I, I guess it's an evolution. Three years, six figures. Um, then I think maybe another four years to have it be passive income, largely passive. I still had to do some work, but it was mainly maintaining it. And then, then I pivoted. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with all this stuff and went to Bali, came back and I realized I want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching again. I, I really missed it. So I kind of came full circle going through what I thought was great success and it was. And then back now and I just work one-on-one -on -one with people. Here's the other thing I learned. I don't want to work with people in startup anymore because people in startup, 80% uh, of them aren't going to make it. This law of averages, that's how it works. 80% aren't going to make it. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to make it in their next venture or their next venture, but, but apparently 80% of, of, of new businesses fail. And I realize, you know, I want to work with people who are already past that curve. They're already up and running. They are successful. They're bringing in somewhere between uh, 50000 and 200000 a month. And they've got a good reputation because those people, I can help them fly higher faster. We already know, okay, you got success. We don't have to get through all those big challenges, but how are you going to scale now? And how are you going to make your life better? And how are you going to reclaim your time and buy some of that time back to spend it really enjoying your life? So I think that was a long answer to a question you probably didn't ask, but it, it really hasn't been that linear. It's not like, I've been trying to go from point A to B and this is how long it took to get there. There'd been many A's and B's and um, each one of those stages has taken a different amount of time. Now I'm on a new timeline acting. And if you said, you know, how long is it going to take to be successful in that? I really, I'm really seeing how that's a trick question because I feel successful now. I'm driving to I'm driving to Denver four times a week for rehearsals, and uh, you know shopping online for Dracula teeth and makeup and different kinds of things. Um, so that that was a success within a week. So sometimes, if you want to be more successful, you could redefine success. Maybe you don't have to wait ten years to be successful. Maybe I know it sounds a bit cliche, but I think it is really true. I've got a friend who's creating a product called the, uh, the power sprouter, which is something that'll like, like create broccoli sprouts and alfalfa sprouts and do it all automatically without all the work that goes into it. That's what he wants to bring to the world. And he said to me recently, I would do this even if I won the lottery. Hmm. Now that's a great test. Would you do what you're doing even if you won the lottery? And it doesn't mean that's the only test. Maybe you just got to suck it up and do something you don't really love for a period of time to make enough money until you can evolve to something that you really do love. All right, fair enough. But if you're doing something that you would do anyway, even if you had millions of dollars, then I think you could call that a success right now. There's no waiting required. I think that's very interesting. So let's just flip it, flip this a little bit, right? If you can go back in time and change anything, one thing, mm -hmm. And if you had 30 seconds to talk to yourself, to tell yourself to change something, what would you say and what would you do? And dude, I do that all the time. In my head, all the time, um, I imagine, I love time travel, the whole concept. And I imagine going back. Just yesterday, I'm going to, this is a confession, just walking around the house, I was talking out loud 
and imagining that I'd been transported back to medieval times. And I was trying to explain to them how blindly believing in a religion and forcing people to do it wasn't wasn't that great an idea. And I just it must have been 40 minutes walking around the house. And then I started explaining to them um, how Galileo came to the idea of the earth revolving around the sun. And I got out an orange and I started just explain. I do that all the time. So if I could go back and give myself some advice, the main thing that I would say is there will be times in your life where you're not sure if you're going to make it. You're actually not sure if you're going to survive and live. It might even feel like you're dying some of these times, but you're stronger than you think. You will get through it. You will learn how to ask for help because that's one one of your lessons to come is that you don't have to do it all alone and you're stronger than you think. And even though everything in your body says you can't handle this anxiety or you can't handle this depression or you can't handle that, lo and behold, you take another breath and life goes on. That'd be the main thing. Wow. So this, 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 since we're on a time tab, you know, we're, we're traveling back in time already, right? Let's just talk about like your family, right? So do you come from an entrepreneurial background that anybody that you could recall kind of giving you that insight to get this entrepreneurial hustle? Wow. You know, there is one person in my family who is very entrepreneurial, but he also lived in another state, my uncle Neil. So my mom was a teacher at high school. My dad was a plumber. And um, my uncle went out on his own and he created his own company. And um, so I guess I had that as an example, but it never occurred to me once to go into business. Never. Um, I was doing well at school. I came top of the school and we're like, well, where are the scholarships? What are we going to do? I was really good at math. So we just figured... I'd be an accountant. That was just like, well, that's what I do. I'm just really good at math. And then when we found out, my mum did some research and she found out what an actuary was. Uh, it's very uncommon. Most people don't know what it is. And it was it was complex statistics and cash flows going 100 years into the future and complex stochastic models and different things. And it seemed like it was harder to qualify and you got paid more and there was more prestige if anyone actually knew what it was. So we went for that. And there were scholarships because um, supply was short. They really needed people, good people uh, to be actuaries. It was really hard to qualify. So they paid me and that's why I went and did it. And it never occurred to me to go into business. I just figured I'd just work for one of the biggest companies in the world and then go and consult to some of the biggest companies of the world. That was the natural path for me. The thing I didn't realize, and I've never mentioned this, I think, on any podcast. I've done 230 interviews. This has never come out. When I left that company, my boss said to me, I hope in 10 years we'll be ready for someone like you. Oh. And I think I get what he was saying. I was very independent. I was very self-driven. I was very self-motivated. I went and or I went, I was going to say auditioned. How, that's hilarious. I went and auditioned for Avon uh, for a job and I didn't get the job. And the recruiter told me the feedback that came back was I wasn't even invited to the party yet. And I was already rearranging the chairs. Oh. I was like, 
what if you tweak the job to be like this, this, and this, and whatever? And they're like, we don't want someone like that. We want someone who's going to play ball, who's going to fit in with the culture and things are going to bubble up over time. And it might take a year or two before a project happens. Oh my God, no, that's not a good look for me. I need either to work for myself so I can call the shots. And if I want to see a website up and running in an hour, I can do it. That's my kind of style. Or if I had a company that was like, all right, you're going to be a bit of a rebel, bit of a renegade, come up with crazy ideas, go and do stuff, shake things up, keep challenging us. Maybe that, but a big, huge consulting company that's moving slower wasn't my scene. And I didn't know that until I quit and my boss told me that. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, with that, let's just talk about you know, obviously, I think like you're flying on planes, you're going from Australia, you're going to New York, you're going to Colorado, California. Like, how do you kind of manage and juggle like your work life versus your family life? Well, I don't really have a family life. Uh, I'm single at the moment. And I have a dog. And and when I when I left Bali, I left Bali. And I was like, where am I going to live in the world? So I went to Colombia check that out. I went to Montreal, went to Mexico, went around the States again, and then settled on Boulder. One of the reasons I settled was because I got clear there were five things I wanted. I wanted a house, a cat, a dog, a car, and a partner. Not necessarily in that order. And so I needed to settle. And I came to Boulder partly because I figured they're very progressive, conscious, switched on women here in Boulder. So good chance I'll find my next partner here. And I couldn't keep traveling around with a dog. So I had to settle and got myself a car. So right now I don't, well, I have the house, I have the dog, I have the car and someone just moved in with a cat that I haven't laid, laid eyes on yet. So the partner may be the only thing remaining. I don't actually travel a lot. I have in my life but I don't like to do it for long periods of time. I like to know where my socks are. I like to settle down. I like to know which cafe to go to. I like to know where to order from a restaurant, where to buy stuff. I want to know who I could call up if I want cuddles in a movie, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty stationary. I went to Mexico to kind of break the pandemic when it looked like we we're coming out of it and, and have a bit of a change. And I had a miserable time. It's just really hard. Being on the plane was edgy for me. Being around all those people was edgy. All the stuff that happened in Mexico, I got so sick. Oh, wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I came home and I'm like, I live in an amazing house in an amazing country in an amazing city. What the hell am I doing? So I actually try and limit the travel, even though I have a business where I can work from anywhere. So that's ironic. I'm location independent and no longer take advantage of it. Although moving to LA will be taking advantage of it because I am mobile. I can move. And if I move, I can't move to Bali again because I can't take my dog. You can't, you can't take dogs into Bali. So that's, that's out for me. And if I leave the US, things get weird with, with my, uh, my green card. I'd like to apply for citizenship. So I actually need to be in the US for another year or two to do that. So I, I'm, I guess I am a little bit tied down right now, but at least I can move around within the, within the U S. Nice. 
So I think you mentioned a couple of different like routine items you're, you're talking about. You want to be able to know the local cuisine. You want to know the local coffee shop. So my next question is like, you know, what, what is your morning routine, your morning habits look like? Uh, you know, I was just on a podcast. I think it was called the best morning routine. And, and as, as we started the interview, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm the best person to be on this podcast. Cause I, I don't, I don't follow uh, a real ritual. I wake up, I take myself and the dog out to pee. I make a cup of tea. That's my morning ritual. That's, that's it. And then um, I'll, I, I might check messages, uh, which I don't recommend my clients do. Like when you've got goals that you want to move towards quickly, don't go check in. Don't, don't do what I'm saying right now. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I don't mind. I'm having a great time at, with the pace that I'm moving at. So I can check messages, see if there's anything urgent, see if there's anything from a client. And then I just go to what feels right. This morning, there's a bunch of house stuff to handle, you know, making sure the smoke alarms are all set uh, now that the new tenant is in the house. And then um, I checked backstage to see if there are any auditions that I want to go for. This movie role they offered me, I've got questions about the director and is it a movie I want to be part of? It's nice that they've offered it to me, but they're not offering to pay me either. So I've been having a lot of fun just just navigating by curiosity and intuition. And, and then there'll be other days where I might just, it might be six, seven, eight hours straight. I will just sit down and crank something out because I, I don't like to, to like just do a little bit, then a little bit, then a little bit. I'm, I'd rather just get in, get it done, and then move on to another another cycle. So I wish I had a more interesting answer for some wild ritual that I do. I might play video games, you know, in the middle of the day, if I feel like not working, I might just, just get a video game uh, or read some lines from, uh, from Dracula and go over them and do what feels good. And then there'll be other times in my life where I'm like, Hey, we've got to crank it out. We've got to build the business. We've got to generate revenue. So I get more structured when uh the goals become more important nice what video games you're playing only one no well yeah there's only one i play starcraft 2 i'm a creature of habit i really am like maybe if i was 20 i'd be into like 10 different video games but it takes me a while to learn the game and to get good at it and i love to train so i i went i did training and i even hired a coach to to get into it i did do Fortnite for a while i was having a blast playing Fortnite with uh my brother and my nephew in australia really much more communal than than playing starcraft i think but i like meditations i like rituals i like that i can start the game and i know what to do all right let's just build it's kind of meditative then i'm getting attacked and so things start to shift and change and I love the challenge of, can I keep building this, this, oh, wow, what a metaphor for life. Can I keep building my economy and my war machine while I'm being attacked? That's the game. Can I do it? Because, you know, this is coming in. I've got to, I've got to fight. I've got to do this battle. But if I don't keep building the economy and training workers and training Marines and training, you know, building war machines and whatever, I'm going to lose in five minutes time. So... You said I'm the, the, the boss, the, what is it? Boss focus, focus boss? Focus boss, yeah. Well, that's why I play this game because it's such a challenge to do 20 things at once and then be attacked 
And can you keep doing at least 15 of those things that you were doing while you're being attacked? Because then you're handling the short game, right? The things that come to you in life day by day, and you're handling the long game. So in business, the long game, might your economy might be, am I training the right staff? Am I getting the right staff? Am I scaling? Uh, am I putting standard operating procedures into place? Am I, uh, like right now, I don't, I don't need any more clients, right? So I could just play the short game and say, I'm, I'm not going to do any work around that. No, because in a month or three months or six months, I'm going to run into trouble because you know, eventually some of these clients are going to go and I may not have more. So we keep playing the long game, which involves reaching out to podcasts like yours and saying, hey, would you like to have David on your show? And so we keep feeding the machine and feeding the economy. And I've never talked about this before on a podcast. So I'm loving that this is coming out. They're handling the day-to-day and putting out fires. And at the same time, I just spoke to a client yesterday. We had a, had a session and he's doing great. And I said, how's your planning? And he said, it could be better. Well, I said, tell me about that. And he said, well, there are probably some things that I'm handling that my staff could be doing. And I just, I've been so busy, I haven't taken the time. I'm like, all right, so what would it look like for you to change that? He said, well, I did just put out a list of projects and asked who wants to spearhead them. I guess we need to lock that down. I said, great. And then do you have people share timelines with you and make commitments? Uh, And he said, well, we could do better on that. I said, okay. And then do you have a weekly meeting where you acknowledge everyone for being on track with all their commitments and handle breakdowns when they didn't renegotiate a missed deadline. Like, do you have that? He said, no, we don't have that at all. I'm like, okay, so now we're starting to see how he, I'm not saying this applies to every listener, how he could play the long game better and set his business up so that he'll have more success and more time off uh, versus just the day-to-day stuff, which he was doing really well. So short and long. Those are two focal points. Definitely. So, I mean, that, that kind of leads me into it. I, I like this question because I think with your energy level and the fact that you, you're, you're like, you're multifaceted, right? You have multiple different aspects to, to, to your life and your career. So the next part is a three-part question. What books have you read on your journey to help you get to where you are? Second part to this question is what books or audio books are you actively listening to right now? And the third part to the question, I'm very interested in hearing this answer is what books have you authored and what books are you planning on authoring next? Okay. And these are really resources that have helped me both in life and business or just, just business. Yeah. Um, well, the e-myth short for entrepreneurial myth by Michael Gerber, I felt like that was very important. It didn't change my thinking about business. It gave me my thinking about business. I, I didn't realize business was a system of systems. It's just a collection of systems. That's a business. If you don't have the systems, you don't have a business. You just got a job. So that's that was really good. Um, the book by Byron Katie called Loving What Is. I can't say the book changed my life, but the book was an introduction to Byron Katie. And if you, when I combined the book with hiring a coach to coach me in the Byron Katie process, 
And then that led to me going and doing the nine day school with Katie. And then that led me to me going and doing a whole month with Katie. I threw down 20 grand and spent a month with her. All of that together really changed my life. What I realized out of all of that work was the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. It's not losing a leg. It's not losing your business. It's not losing your partner. It's not me losing my sister when I was five years old. These things in and of themselves are not bad. They're not good. Nothing is. It's what we're thinking about it. I didn't know that. A lot of people don't. We think it's the outside world. Then we generate the results that we want and find we're still not happy and wonder why. It's because of what we're thinking. That's the only thing that can make us unhappy is a thought. So that was huge for me. And then your second question, was that about audiobooks? Well, just in general, I mean, what books are you actively reading or listening to currently right now? Well, right now I'm, I'm into acting. So I'm listening. I just listened to uh, a book by Sanford Meissner on the Meissner technique, which was awesome. And now I'm listening to one by Michael Chekhov called An Actor Prepares. And I'm finding, it's, it's really interesting, I'm finding parallels to life in all of this acting stuff. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What he's telling me here is what I tell my clients. It's, you know, same with anything, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, right? You get into something deeply like surfing or flying or, or crochet, and you can, you can find parallels and lessons in life. Improv, right? You go and do an improv class, they'll teach you to say yes to everything. Someone says, oh, you have leprosy. You don't say, no, I don't. I have cancer. You say, yes, I do. Would you hand me back my foot? Right? It's yes and. Um, there's a book that I'm writing right now. I did write a book called Get Paid for Who You Are. Um, if you want a very simple business model, uh, you could probably go and find that book somewhere. Uh, I don't promote it anymore. It's like something I offered to the world and then I've moved on. But Get Paid for Who You Are is a simple model for how to make money, um, mainly using the internet and how to go into passive income. But I'm way more interested in the new book right now called The Mouse in the Room. We were calling it Name That Mouse, but now it's called The Mouse in the Room because the elephant is not alone. And the whole premise of this I want to share some of the things that I've gotten from the authentic relating community here in Boulder. And the book's really about transparency. We all know about the elephant in the room. You see it, I see it, no one's saying anything. For example, if I'd turned up naked to this podcast interview, you could see I had no shirt on and I didn't say anything. That's an elephant in the room. And if we didn't say anything, that'd be kind of weird. But that happens all the time. I'm watching impractical jokers on TV. And oh my God, the things that people just don't address. They're like, you're putting your nose on my shoulder. You just licked my scalp. No, people aren't addressing the elephant in the room. And I think you should all do that. We should all address the elephant in the room. But this book is about the creatures that are much more subtle. What if I have noticed something, but I don't know if you're aware of it. What if you were five minutes late for this interview and didn't say anything? And I'm like, is this how he rolls normally? Uh, or is it not? Like that's a mouse. It's much more subtle. Maybe, um, you know, I might meet someone and just, it might be a guy and I just think, 
God, this guy's good looking. I hate this guy, right? Those are two mice right there. That's my experience. So a mouse is any thought, bodily sensation, or emotion that you're having that um, the other person may not be aware of. That's a mouse. And I get very excited at the, the idea of us being more real in our experience. You know, I just want to name, I'm feeling a bit sad today. You don't need to do anything about it. I don't need rescuing. I'm just feeling a little bit sad. Uh, it might be, um, I don't know, I, I just, just found out my uncle died last night. Um, so that could be a mouse that you could share with someone. We don't do it in our culture. We just keep our feelings to ourselves, our emotions to ourselves, our bodily sensations to ourselves. If my belly was clenching really tight during a speech, I'd say 99 people out of 100 wouldn't say anything. But you can. You can say, oh, I notice my belly's tight. I feel tense. Let's see. Would you stand up with me? Let I want to shake it off, and uh, maybe you guys could use a bit of a shake too. Let's just stand up. We'll do a little exercise and see what we can do about that. How about we do that versus hiding it, versus pretending that it doesn't exist? We do way too much pretense, and when we do that, it's like I'm I'm in a play, showing you a character. You're in a play showing me a character. And we're not getting to what's underneath and what's what's really here. So this book, The Mouse in the Room, is about how to firstly discover your mice and just realize what your own experience is, your own truth, and then how to decide if it's something that should be shared. Sometimes it's something you keep to yourself, sometimes not. But people, nine times out of ten, I think they're way too conservative and they keep too many things to themselves. And the third thing is how to artfully name that mouse. How to artfully share it so that they don't freak out. They don't feel like they've got to rescue you. They don't get really angry or, you know, ideally offended. And um, you can be more connected around what's real. Hmm. I think it's definitely an interesting topic, interesting book as well. And I think, you know, obviously you're big into time travel, so you're familiar with like multiverses. And as you're depicting these different things, it kind of reminds me of like variables, right? So if I do say something or if I don't say something, then what's the result? And then being able to kind of foreshadow and see the path that I want to choose based upon the result that I'm looking for. So my next question is, with that being on the table and you're having this book and then you're doing this acting, where do you see your multiverse in 20 years from now? Oh, 20 years. Well, Ideally, I would be uh, very happily married with a with a life partner, and definitely there's a dog and a cat. I'd like my dog to still be with me. I I, I get sad, I, so I'm feeling sad right now. Even imagining a future without her, there's a mouse uh, to name. Um. I don't know if I'd still be acting. I don't know. I might be doing some improv. I would like to have my own TV show. I think that'd be cool. Kind of like a cross between Dr. Phil and Conan O'Brien would be cool. So we're doing like real stuff, but also having fun and making fun of ourselves and not taking life too seriously. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy having a TV show. Um, and I'm probably living somewhere as beautiful as Boulder, maybe Boulder, may, may not be, 
and uh, have a home that feels really good to me. I do own a, a property, but it's not something I'd want to live on in. I think I'd like to own my own home. And I'm surrounded by amazing friends, just like I am now. Yeah. So I love that question because I realized that a lot of what I want, I have now. Mm -hmm. Oh, more peace. I'd like more peace. I still judge myself, right? That I don't have control over all of my thoughts. I'm doing better at breaking them apart when, when the negative thoughts come. I'm doing a lot better with all of that. But I'd like to real I'd like to have more peace and more gratitude in my life as a daily natural occurrence. Nice. So I mean, let's just talk about like final words of wisdom. Like you have an opportunity and you're talking to the universe, you're talking about the mouse in the room, you're talking to the multiverse, the future and in the past, all at the same time. What words of insight would you give to an individual that's on their entrepreneurial journey and they cross paths with you and you have, you know, 30 seconds to tell them something that can be very impactful to change their lives moving forward? Great question. I would say write down what life would look like if you were taking 10 times more action than you're taking now. Write down what that would look like because most of us are cruising at about 10%. And if you want to go faster, you want more success, write down what that would look like and get into action. If you're having trouble doing that, get a nudge, get a push. Could be a mastermind group, could be a therapist, could be a performance coach like myself. Um, but really go for it. I want you to live now so that if you're on your deathbed in six months or six years or 60 years, you'll look back over this time and say, I rocked that out. I really rocked it out. You may not get everything you want, but you really went for it. That's the test of whether or not we're truly living. Yeah, that's, that's definitely seriously sincere for sure. So, I mean, if someone's listening to this podcast and I mean, obviously like your energy level is, is through the roof and I think you're definitely an inspirational person. How could someone get in contact with you on the internet, through social media, website? Yeah, I created a link with a gift basket of goodies for listeners and it'll take you to a hidden page on my website. Um, and I'll give you the link in a second. Uh, there's a cheat sheet on how to achieve twice as much in half the time. It's got a great checklist. Um, and I love that we didn't even get into that, that checklist today. Um, because I already wrote it down. You can go through it. There's a video on how to implement it in your business. There's a link to the Mouse in the Room mini book that we've already written that you can get a hold of. You'll be able to subscribe to my podcast uh, if you want to listen to me as well as the amazing essay. And uh, my podcast is called Extraordinary Focus. And the last thing is if you're interested in coaching with me, if something resonated for you in this interview and you're like, you know, I can do better. I can do better. I want to do better. I'm ready to invest in myself. And you think we might be a fit, reach out at that same link. I'd be happy to get on the phone with you and we'll find out if we're a fit. I'm, I'm not a fit for everyone and not everyone's a fit for me, but if we are, we could do some cool stuff together. And all of this, you can get at the one link, myfocusgift.com. Because I want to give you the gift of focus. So what better link than myfocusgift.com. Nice, nice. So I got a, a couple of bonus questions for you. 
right? I think okay. my first bonus question for you is going to be, what is your most significant achievement to date? I think I'm going to give two, one from business and one from personal. Um, Business-wise, well, you know, having Jack Canfield write the forward to my book was a pretty huge business achievement. Getting elected to the uh, Transformational Leadership Council with Jack Canfield, John Gray, Marianne Williamson, Don Miguel Ruiz, that was like a crowning lifetime achievement. And then selling the the $337,000 worth of product in 15 minutes was like, what? That was wild. Uh, personally, I'm happily divorced to a wonderful woman. I love my ex-wife. I love her new husband. Um, their, their kid calls me Uncle David, and I love him as well. And I'm very proud of that that could have gone a number of different ways. And for a while it did. And I have a high value on love. Mm. And so if some people are so amazed that I went and stayed with them a couple of years ago. And um, that's an example of what's possible. If you name the mouse in the room and we're authentic and we reach out with people, if I can do that with my ex-wife, then what's possible with your boss or your coworker or your roommate or your kid that won't talk to you or anyone in your life? Mm-hmm. Anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a one hell of an answer. It's probably like one of the best ones I've ever had to that particular question. And to the fact that you're still that close with your ex-wife, even into her new life, it, it definitely shows the character of who you are and how open-minded you really are. So Going into my next question, and this is probably like my favorite question that I always ask everyone that I interview. If, if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Well, if it's dead or alive, I think I'd go Robin Williams. I think I'd go Robin Williams. Um, and... I'm going to mention three people and all of them, it's the same reason. Um, Robin Williams, uh, alive, I'd go maybe Tim Minchin, who's a comedian. Um, And I really would love to have some hang time with Alan Alda from MASH. And all three of these, the same reason. They are hilarious, super funny, and super deep. And you asked me at the beginning to describe myself. And I think the reason I love these guys is I do see myself as both playful with a sense of the silly and the ridiculous, but also can travel in the deep, the deep waters. I had a client who was diagnosed with cancer. And one of my favorite sessions this whole year was holding space for her and her husband to work out how they were going to frame that and what they were going to do about it. Um, so there's, there's my answer. Three, three amazing men. Nice. So going to close it, I mean, you're a fellow podcaster and I like to, you know, flip the coin and, and give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to take the microphone to make the show, the show theirs. So do you have any questions that you would like to ask me? The floor is yours. Questions for you? Yeah. 
I, I'm looking for more context, like, um, like any question about life. I mean, anything. I mean, that's the beauty of podcasting. It's like, as we were having these conversations, you know, thoughts may have crossed your mind, anything that may have popped up, a question that I may have asked you that you may want to ask me. I mean, anything. I'll that ask you a question. Yeah. In the last month, is there a moment that stood out to you as being a particularly good moment in life? last month yeah uh, i would say my 15 year old son started driving and having the opportunity to let him drive 40 miles over a state line was just you know our, remembering him vividly as toddler and going through adolescence and now seeing him as a 15 year old becoming a man and he's driving and it was just kind of like one of those moments it's like i'm not only i'm happy to be here but i'm happy to also help him and educate him in that process as well wow I, I can only imagine how fulfilling that would be to, to watch that happen. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's, it's, it's one of those gifts having kids, but then seeing your kids grow up and evolve. And I can't even imagine what, it, what it's going to be like when grandkids come into the picture, like now that I'm getting to that point to where I have a 15 year old in the next 10 years, he may be a dad. So it's definitely interesting. Wow. Thank you. Well, I definitely appreciate you. I, I think you definitely came to the table. I, I mean, I think you, you bring the area of um, improv into business, and I, and I love that about you. So I definitely appreciate you being on the show today. Sure, man. Thanks for the great questions. Great, great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.